Amen. Good evening once more. And um, just turn to your neighbor on your right and on your left and say, Welcome to Thrive. Amazing. All right. If you're online also, if, they have, if you don't have anybody beside you, just touch the screen and say, I am welcome to Thrive. All right. God bless you all. Um, as you know, if this is your first time, um, worshiping with us at Tribe, we are, a few weeks ago, we started a journey studying the book of Acts of the Apostles, and we're going to be continuing today. So today we'll be taking it from Acts chapter 4, verse 23, all the way to the end. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, all the way to the end. We'll pick it up from where uh, we left it last week. Uh, Pastor Richard was the one that took uh, last week, and it was amazing. All right, so I'll just read it. Uh, Acts chapter 4 from 23 to 37. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers, verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the highland of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of the word, of his word, in the mighty name of Jesus. All right, so like I said, we'll pick it up from where we left it last week. 
So just a quick summary, a quick uh, synopsis of what happened last week. Um, so Peter and John engaged a crippled man that had been crippled in the public space. Everybody knew him for years as someone that was crippled. And by, I mean, using the, they, they, they called on the name of Jesus and they brought healing to the man and he began to walk. And immediately that happened, of course, they took advantage, they preached the sermon, and Bible tells us that over 5,000 people became believers and got saved. And their, fellowship, their followership, the people that now started following Peter and John in the name of Jesus, they were increasing and increasing. So this made the authorities at the time, the people that you would consider government, the people that we would consider authorities at that time, the priests, the high priests, the priests, the temple guards, the Sadducees, that's how the Bible describes them. He said, the, the, uh, the, this scenario, the miracle, the, the, the growing followership of the people calling the name of Jesus, it made them very uncomfortable. And because of that, they went after Peter and John, arrested them, and locked them up overnight. In the morning, they brought them out. I guess they were trying to form a democratic government. There's, you know, in democracy, they say if you, are, if you arrest anybody within 24 hours, you must arraign the person in court. All right? So they brought them out and they started questioning them. Why, what did you do? How did you do it? In whose name? By what authority? Blah, blah, blah. Funny questions. And of course, Peter used this opportunity to preach another powerful sermon. We just left them dumbfounded that they, they didn't even know what to, how to respond or what to say next. That someone actually even made them almost stupid because at the end of the day, they took a decision and said, okay, we're going to warn you. Don't ever mention the name of Jesus again. And Peter said to them, who should I follow? You or the person that just healed this crippled man? And at that point, they could not even say anything again. They just said, get out of here. They said it like that. Get out of here. Because they, they, they didn't have a basis to hold them down. So last week, we, we, I mean, I think the final question that Pastor Richard asked was, so what would make the people that, in quotes, are authority around you, what would make them to question a good deed? What would make them to be challenging you for doing something good? And as I was, I mean, studying today, I, I, I was trying to bring this home. I was trying to bring this home to what we are facing in Nigeria. Because it appears like that is the scenario that is playing out. We have, in quotes, our authorities, our governments, seemingly celebrating bad behavior. In all areas, in different forms, in diff I mean, there's a lot of queue and traffic everywhere now. Why? Because someone somewhere imported bad fuel into the country and now we, 200 million of us, are suffering for it. And there is no, at least there's no information yet that anybody has been fired for doing that or anybody has been penalized or punished or sanctioned. Or, you know, in serious countries, you would expect that by now the so-called Minister of Petroleum should have even resigned, honorably. But, hey, that's where we are. Because it's similar to what they're doing. Good behavior, they're questioning it. Bad behavior, 
celebrated. It's common knowledge now. Fraud. Everybody wants to be a Yahoo boy. Its songs are celebrating Yahoo. They've taken it a step further. Now it's ritual killing. And everybody is now doing Zazu. Um, what, what are those names? Lejukpa. Pakoli. Abi, what other song? What other name is there? I can't remember now. They're celebrating ritualists. They're celebrating hardened criminals. And making everybody appear like, oh, if you don't understand, if you are not like that, then you are the one that is abnormal. We can go on and on. The most recent one that came out about two days ago, Abakiari, Super Cop. We know what, I don't, I don't need to go into the details. We all know what's happening, right? It's, it's just appalling that bad behavior seems to be what is being celebrated all around us. And good, behav- good behaviors are being questioned. Good behaviors are being questioned. Praise God. But while we go into this, I just want to encourage every one of us. We mustn't back down. We mustn't, we mustn't fall and say, okay, look, I'm helpless. We're not going to be able to do anything after all. And we just have to flow with the norm. No. We must hold on to our values. Hallelujah. So what do you do in, in, when you have a system that is fighting against good works, like what the John and Peter were facing here? What do you do when you have a system that is fighting when you do something good? So we'll just run through the scripture, this passage and a few points of what they did, at least to get out of their own situation, and to move forward, to keep moving forward, we'll run through that, and we'll bring on pastors, we'll take questions, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be done for the day. Praise God. So, as we continue in the teaching, if you have any question, please just note it down, or just write it somewhere so you don't forget. At the end of the teaching, we'll take questions. If you are online, you can send in the question through the online platform, wherever it is you are, um, someone is going to capture it and we will take those questions when pastor joins in and uh, we will all be good. Amen. So what do you do when you have a system fighting good works? When you are living in a, in, in, in a system or you are operating within a system that is fighting good works and celebrating bad works? Number one, verse 23 and 24. Verse 23 and 24. It says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer and on and on. Let's, let's stick to verse 23 now. It says, as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers. So what do you do when you have a system fighting good works? Number one is you stick with God's people. You stick with God's people. Choose your friends. Choose who you hang out with. Choose who you spend time with. Stick with God's people because that's what Peter and John did. They had just been released from prison for doing a good thing. They could have decided and said, look, I'm going to run away from this city. It's as if they don't appreciate good works. God has given me the power. God has given me the anointing. Let me go to where they will appreciate it. They could have done that. But what did they do? They came back 
to where their fellow believers were. And they stood there. Why? It's not because they, in terms of physical numbers, that they were more than the unbelievers or more than the system. No. It was because they understood that one with God is majority. So even if it is only one of them, or two of them, or three, just three, and the rest of the world was in millions, so long as God is with them, they are in majority. And they understood it very, very clearly. They understood it. So that was why also, when they were being questioned, they could stand up to the authority and look them in the face and say, who would we believe? All of you, Sadducees and uh, Pharisees and temple guards and priests, all of you that is plenty, or the one God Almighty who can stand with us and who can speak a word and all of you will go dumb. Who would you stand with? So first thing we have to learn to do when we have, find ourselves in that kind of situation is we have to stick with God's people. Never, ever get to the point where you want to say you want to isolate yourself. Because that can be an easy opportunity for attack by the enemy. Isolation. You know, when we face challenges a lot of times, we're, we're, we're quick to withdraw to our shell. We're quick to say, okay, look, look, look. I'm tired of all these people around me. They don't understand me. I'm trying to preach to them. I'm trying to talk to them about God. Let me stay on my own and you people to stay on your own. Isolation. Don't go there at all. Isolation. Don't go there. Ecclesiastes. 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 Yes, I called it right. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. I'm always biting my tongue when I want to pronounce that uh, uh, chapter of the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people laying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be one alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and be defeated. This is the scripture saying it. That if you stand alone, you can be attacked and you can be defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. So before you go to, buy, to, to, to the scriptures and start fighting alone, remember this is what the scriptures is saying. If you stand alone, you can be attacked and you can be defeated. But if you go in pairs, if you stand back to back, you can attack and conquer. Then the ultimate, the great of all of them, the ultimate, three are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So when you stand with God, then it goes back to that principle. One with God is majority. Because if you bring God as the third person to engage, then the game changes completely. So never, never isolate Yourself. Never isolate yourself. Because once you isolate yourself, it takes you to the next point, is that what you are simply doing is that you are, you are turning your back. You are exposing your back. Never run or turn your back. Never. You are exposing your back. If you know anything about battle or about warfare, the back, the back is the most difficult to protect. 
you can use your hand to protect every part of your body in front. It's almost impossible to use the same hand to protect your back. So when you turn and you run, you expose yourself, you expose your back. So never turn your back. Never turn your back. So what are the benefits of sticking together? What are the benefits of sticking together? When you stick together, you are able to encourage each other and you, you, you can feel love. So when, 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 Paul, uh, when Peter and John was going to the disciples, was going to the, 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 the brethren, after they had been freed from prison, when they were sharing their story, they would have felt affection. They would have felt some form of connection. They would have felt some form of encouragement. They would be able to encourage each other. Oh, this happened to you. Wow, amazing. It happened to me also. Oh, yeah, really? And they share their story. When we bond, when we share each other's story, it's, it's, it creates a new drive. It creates a new passion within us because then we know that even if the whole world, even this system we're talking about, if it rejects us, we have acceptance within. We have love within. Just today, I was listening to a, a YouTube video of um, Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. And um, we, we know Kobe Bryant, right? Kobe Bryant's NBA basketballer that died a few years ago. All right. Awesome guy. Excellent basketballer. So he was talking about, someone asked him a question and says that, um, who made the most impact in his life between his father and his mother? And he kept quiet for a while. And he said, they both made impacts in his life, but in different ways. He said his mom was there for him all the way, every day, all, all the way. But he said his father made a huge significant impact in his life when he was around 10, to, between 10 and 11 years old. He said at 10, 11, you know all those MBA guys, they, when they're even in primary school, they're already the tallest in the class and the likes. Because, I mean, so he was huge. He was already playing basketball at 10, 11 years old. And he said they had a summer holiday. So he was going for different competitions, playing basketball here and there. And he said that entire summer, it was as if the heavens were just sealed. He, he said he did not score one single point. The entire summer, he could not understand what was happening. He was good. As he knew at that age, he was already better than his pairs. Of course, he was playing against his pairs. But he said he could not score one point. And he felt so depressed and dejected. And he got back home, and his dad asked him, so what's happening? And he told his dad what happened. And his father looked at him, and he looked back at his dad. And his father said to him, you know what, son? doesn't matter whether you score or not. So long as I know that if you go out there, you're giving your best, I will still love you no matter what. And he looked at the man, and he felt a surge of energy and encouragement swelling up in the, within him. And he said the next game that they went like this, he scored 60 points in one match. That's what happens when we get to bond with the right crowd. That's what happens when we get to spend time and good quality time with the right kind of people. Because we get encouragement. This, when he was sharing this story, he was probably in his mid-30s, 20 years plus after. But that in singular incident made so much impact 
in his life that it turned his life around. And from that point onwards, he just kept going 60s and the likes. So benefit number two of seeking together is that we can share in each other's experience. There is comfort in community. There is comfort in community. We can share in each other's experiences. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you, you can stand. What you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Amen. The truth is that the things that you think you are going through, that is a major temptation, a major trial for you. Some people have gone through it before. When you get to hear their story, that's when you begin to do what? You begin to calm down. I remember a few years ago, um, there was a couple that my wife was mentoring or counseling and whatever, you know, and the, the, the wife was pregnant and she was due to deliver and they went to the hospital, it was their first baby, and they went to the hospital and the doctor said, ah, okay, the baby is not well positioned though, we have to perform a cesarean operation to get the baby out. And the husband and the wife called my wife. The way they were crying over the phone, you would think the baby was dead. They were weeping like, what did we do? What is our sin? What, what did we do to God? What kind of punishment is this? Why? And they were wailing. And it took my wife a while to understand exactly what is wrong. Is there something wrong with the baby? They said, no, but that it can't come out naturally. Uh-huh. And they were like, how can you be saying, uh-huh? is it natural that they shouldn't come out naturally? Only for them at that point, for my wife to tell them like, what is the big deal? We have four children. All of the four of them were cesarean check section. And they are doing okay. And the, the husband and the wife, the, the tears just dried up immediately like, really? So it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. So, but if we don't have that community, if we are not engaged in that community, we will not be able to share each other's burdens. We will not be able to share in each other's experiences because that is what community is all about. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. When you experience it, it appears like it is you alone, that there is nobody else that is understanding. But be informed, you are not alone. Be informed, you are not alone. Praise God. Praise God. So what do you do when you have a system fighting good works? Number one, you stick together with God's people. Number two, you seek God's help by praying. Verse 24 to 27. Verse 24 to 27. I'll read it very quickly. Wow, time has flown. Chai. Verse 24 to 27. It says, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit to our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? And on and on, Psalm 2, verse 2, it was being repeated there. We pray. We seek God's help. So we see the church here. When they heard that there was trouble, they came together. 
united to raise their voice to God in one accord. There was a strong belief in the power of prayer. And how did they do their own prayer? They came first, rolling out God's CV, you know, the way we do here, just declaring God's praises. You are the creator of the heavens ahead, you know, and on and on. You know, at times I used to, well, way back, I used to struggle with, look, why do I have to always come to God just calling him his names? Uh, you know, you are, you are great, you are mighty, you are strong, you are awesome, you are powerful. Does he not know? Why do I have to repeat it every time? But here, these people knew that that's how to connect to God. You roll out his CV. It's as if you are psyching him, you are telling him that, look, I know who you are. I know who you are. It's as if you are telling, they're singing it out to him like, you have helped me in the past. You will help me again. They're telling him on and on. They're telling him about what he has done in the past. And that's how they prayed. You know, it's very significant that we, we, for us to know that it is, God enjoys it when we come to him, praising him to pray. And there's so many ways that we can do it even today. There are hymns that talks about God's praises. Of course, so many songs of praise, so many songs of worship, also, so many songs of worship, you know, t- talking about what he has done specifically, the things he has done in the past, and calling it out to him as if you think he doesn't know. Tell him again. He wants to hear it from you because he wants to hear it not just from you as lip service, but he wants to hear it from you based on how you understand it. Because it is when you understand what God has done and it is relatable to you, that's, how, that's when the thing can, uh, you, that's when you can actually appreciate as you are saying it. So when you say, for example, that uh, God is the Oromoni Shefayati, for those that don't understand Yoruba, what that means is that he's the one that sends you on an errand and stays behind you, saying, go, I'm right behind you. When you say that to him, then you feel assured when he's sending you on an errand. Because you know that he's got your back. Peter knew that God has got his back. That's why he could say to the... You just imagine, people that had the power to arrest him like this and throw him in prison. Those same people are now saying that, don't do that thing that we arrested you for yesterday. And he had the audacity right there in their presence to say, who do you want me to believe, you or God? That's because he was experiencing the Oromoni Shefayati. And you, I mean, on and on like that, we, we can think about what God has done for us and how we, 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 we cannot use that to call his name, to, to sound his name back to him. Praise God. And whenever we pray, the reality is that miracles happen. Miracles happen. Verse 31 says that when they, when they were praying, when they finished praying, I'll read it. You see, after this prayer, I'm trying to skip because of time. I, I've already overshot time, seriously. Okay, so he said, that, um, verse 31, he says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The p- meeting place, the place where they were pr- pr- uh, meeting, it shook, it vibrated. Just for, I mean, 
think about it, God did not have to come and shake anything up. But he just wanted to shake it up so that they would know that I heard, oh, I heard this prayer and I do it. That's what it means. When he just came to just rumble the place up, he's saying that I like what I'm hearing. Do it more. Do it more. So when we gather like this, when we gather anytime, we, we, we should know that God is here and he's expecting to hear resounding praise from us. He's expecting to hear good prayer from us. And when we do, God makes the place to shake. We may not feel it physically, but trust me, it is shaking spiritually. Chains are being broken. Chains are being broken. I shared a few weeks ago, I think it was when I was, um, some time ago when I was uh, teaching here. I talked about my experience when I, was, when, when I joined the, the prayer group, you know, the prayer group of the church. You know, I, I had plenty issues that I was dealing with personally. So I thought that, oh, okay, if I, if I join the prayer group, um, I will be, there will be a time, of course, we'll pray for the church, we'll pray whatever, but there will be time that we'll call our own personal prayer points, then all the prayer warriors will gather and we'll start firing the enemy and killing the devil, you know, and on and on, and hopefully the issues will start going one by one. But hey, I was shocked in those prayer points, in those uh, prayer meetings, we don't even do personal prayers. It's all about the church. It's all about you that we're sitting and I, you know, nothing personal for all the prayer, the people in the prayer group. But guess what? In a very short while, one by one, I couldn't even keep track again, one by one, all those issues that I thought I had began to shake off. Why? Because there was spiritual shaking up. That each time we gather to pray, there's always a shaking. Always a shaking. We may not feel it physically, but chains are breaking. Chains are breaking. And that's real. That's so real. So prayer is so key. And I want to encourage you. If you are here, maybe you, you are a worker. Or you are not even a worker. You are a church member. You want to come and join us. See me or see any of the uh, pastors. And tell them you want to join the prayer team. Come. Let's see. bring those issues that you think you have. And you will see how God will meet and the whole place will always shake. Amen. Last point we'll be sharing very quickly. So, ah, two more points actually. We stick together. What do we do when we have a system fighting good works? Number one, we stick together with God's people. Number two, we seek God's help. And number three, we spread God's word because that's what they did. After the place shook, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Because when they had prayed, sudden boldness came upon everybody. And they went out preaching the word of God. They went out preaching the word of God. And it's like a cycle. It's, it's like a cycle. Because, you know, you can bring on that image now. It's like a cycle when you go out to preach. As soon as you preach, the truth is, because that's what happened. You preach, trials and temptations will come. God will give you victory over them. Then you see the miracles that you're expecting. Repeat it, and it just takes you over again. Now, a lot of times, we always want to run away from that trials. We don't want it. We don't want to see trials. We don't want to see persecutions. Peter and John went to jail. Paul went to jail. 
A lot, I mean, we know the story of all the apostles. They all face persecution at every time. But after that persecution, usually there's a miracle. Usually there's a miracle. Just wait it out. Just wait it out. Usually there's a miracle. You preach the word, persecution comes, miracles follow. And repeat it. And it's just a continuous cycle. And it, the miracles that keep coming will become bigger and bigger for you in the mighty name of Jesus. Final point. We go to verse 32. So it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that they owned, that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them. Hallelujah. You know, we've talked about, uh, I mean, um, silver and gold. When the scripture talks about that, there would not be any poor. But at the same time, there will be poor. But in this instance now, there was no needy people among them because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. So everybody was in, sorted in a way. Everybody was okay. Everybody was doing well. And it goes on in verse 36. He now talked about someone specifically. He says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the islands of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. You know, before we even talk about that guy, what does this last point talk about? It talks about total submission. Total submission. So the apostles, the Bible says that they were all doing very well. Meaning the things, their business was okay, was, was thriving and as, in as much as, as much as it thrived and did well, they would bring the money to the apostles to share with everybody so that everybody in the community will do well. And that's how they continued. And God kept blessing them. Matthew 6.21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I will reverse that because I'm using the principles of, um, is it uh, algebra now? Algebra says A, if A equals B, then B equals A, right? So wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. What that also, what that also means is that wherever the desires of your heart is, there your treasures will be. So the reason why the apostles and all the believers could bring all their wealth to be distributed is because the work of God, that was where their heart was. So they had total submission to God. And it was, they now came up with a, 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 an example of the, the, the guy I spoken about there. Joseph, you know, I just like it when out of the blues, they just mentioned someone's name in the Bible. He says, for instance, there was Joseph. No father, no mother, no history about him. Just said that he was of the tribe of Levi, nicknamed Barnabas. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And I was asking myself, why did the Bible single out to mention this guy alone? 
why did this Bible single out to mention the widow's might? It was because it was not equal giving, but it was equal sacrifice. So he, yes, had a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. It must have been maybe everything that he had, which made the sacrifice very big in the eyes of God. The others, maybe they had 10 properties. They sold five and brought five and kept five for themselves. But this guy that was talked about here, he said he had, he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles, one that he had. Usually when someone is singled out like this, it's because his giving was exceptional. So the question is to you and I, what are you giving to God? What are you sacrificing to God? God is not asking today now for your money or your wealth, whatever. The only thing he's asking of you now is your life, your soul, your heart. So on that note, all heads bowed. If you're here or you're online, you want to give your life to Christ. You want to open your heart to allow Jesus just like Joseph gave what he had, God is asking for your heart. And you're here, you know you're not saved. You want to give your life to Christ. Just raise your hand wherever you are and accept a card from one of the ushers. If you're online, just indicate in the chat room where you are that you want to give your life to Christ and the ushers will, uh, the online pastors will reach out to you and tell you what you need to do. So if you're here, you want to do that, all is bowed. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that we've heard again, all that we've been shared. We are grateful. Accept our thanks in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that every word we have spoken, Lord, we have used in your kingdom. We'll be of use in our lives. And we will be permanent members of your kingdom to the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. Okay. God bless you. All right. At this point, we'll be bringing Pastor on. Okay, Pastor is already there. Good evening, sir. We can't hear you. Say that again. Hi. Hi. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. How are Great. you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, sir. Well done. Thank well you, done. sir. All right. So. Yeah, sorry, sir. Yeah, so do we have any questions? Debbie, do we have any questions from the online or the house? Non-online. Okay. All right. So, um, Pastor, yes, I have a, a question. You know, we, we talked about, um, I mean, the system around us being corrupt and uh, it's a challenge living in a system where it appears like it's celebrating bad behavior as against rewarding good behavior, and on and on like that. Unfortunately, that's where we are uh, today, you know. But my big worry is, um, even amongst brethren, some churches, not GFH, you know, so, some churches, uh, do, I mean, okay, I'll give you an example. I have a friend I play tennis with, he talks like he's in a senior leadership position in his church where he worships. 
But when we are done playing tennis, it's always going to hang out in clubs with the boys that are still drinking and doing all sorts of, you know, understand what I'm saying? And I'm always caught in between, like, how do you engage these kind of people to be the lights? Especially when they still carry that title on their head, like, okay, she be Christianity, we too, we did there now. How do we engage those kind of people without sounding judgmental? Without sounding judgmental, <laughs> I think that's where the trick is. Yeah. You know, because, because, I mean, many times what people call judgmental is subjective, it's very subjective. So, so if you, um, if someone is drinking, um, a bottle of Coke, for instance, and, um, and you're like, oh, wow, um, this is your eighth bottle in the span of two hours. You've had, you've had eight bottles of Coke, and you're like, you feel obligated to, um, to just kind of nudge them that, hey, you want to take it easy, you know? And they say, why are you judging me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean... The question is: Is that is that actually judgment? Is that you judging the person, or you caring for the person? So, I think um, our generation and you know this the, the, the culture has used that word judge or judgment to bully um, people that will have rightfully corrected us. So. Um, we, we, so when we bully people that will have rightfully corrected us, and most people don't want to be judgmental, they don't want to come across as judgmental, so they keep their opinions or, or their, their comments, which would have been valuable if, if they have, um, if, if, they, if, if they are given those comments. So, so that's the first thing, and I'm sure that's what you are struggling with, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so the second question you want to ask is, do, do I have, um, the word is a moral authority to speak to this guy mm. at this level? Mm. So you want to find out by asking yourself sincerely, do I have a moral authority to speak to this guy at this level? Now, Take both of us, for instance, you know, <laughs> you know, we play tennis together, you know, I mean, if you, if, uh, okay, let's add the third person, our mutual friend, that <laughs> 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 we both know, <laughs> I grew up together with, you yeah. know, for how many years ago, five decades, over four decades, I think, you know, and, and whether he likes it or not, we should be able to tell him that, oh boy, you know, stop this clubbing thing you are doing, mm. you know? So in that case, and I mean, and if maybe there's something I'm doing and you want to call me out of, of course, you know, you have a moral authority to do it, you know, and you, you have to do it, you owe it to me, you owe it to yourself to do it, you know? So in that case, you, you should do it. You should just step up and do it with, with humility in your heart with sincerity in your heart. The Bible says so that you yourself, you have to be careful, you know, 
so that you are not, you know, <laughs> tempted and, all, and stuff like that. So, mm. so that is the obvious space where you have moral authority. So, where it is not obvious, I don't know how your relationship with this guy is, you may want to start by um, investing in that relationship, you know, first and foremost, and gaining moral grounds, you know, with the person. So, I mean, for, I've had people that I've seen them behave in a certain way only to discover how they are being treated at home by their wives, you know, and not because that is uh, justification, but at least that gives me, gives me some empathy, you know, some empathy towards him. So I'm, I'm not, you're not going to say you're a useless guy. You are always, uh, you're always hanging around, you know, what have you. The guy is going through hell at home. Not many people have a church community or, or the, the authentic relationships to, that will support them through it. Some people just, you know. So, yeah, so that's what I would say. Wow. That's wisdom there. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Do you have any more questions? Debbie? Still none. Okay, good. Okay. Um, I don't know if I should add. I wanted to add these points to the list of things that we should do when we find ourselves in a situation where uh, authority appears to be celebrating bad behavior. So the fifth point I wrote here is not from the Bible. I just said, get your PVC. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's the truth. 2023 is rough. The elections for 2023 is roughly exactly one year from now about about one year from now get your abby yeah get your pvc because if you want things to change we hold the ace there's a lot of drama about stuff but oh our votes don't count and the likes question we all need to ask ourselves if it doesn't count why are they paying people to vote if the votes don't count, why do they bribe people 3,000, 4,000, cheap money to vote? It's because it counts. So get your PVC. It's not a political campaign. I'm not campaigning for any party or anything. But get your PVC. I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the next election. But I don't want February 2023 to come and I see a good candidate and I don't have a card to vote for the person. That would be very painful at that time. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, sir. Well, like you said earlier on, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So mm. if, you, if you take the pains of getting, and for those that don't know what PVC is, maybe you're watching from Hong Kong, you know. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, it's the voting card in Nigeria. Um, so... You go through the pains of getting the PVC. You actually go out and stay all day to cast your vote. Most likely, the more of us that are able to do that, the more we are able to protect this vote. In other words, you know, I mean, if I've gone through all that pains, in my word, I'll make sure it's not rigged. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and imagine we are about 500 of me, you know, (laughs) or... 3,000 of me. Now, think of 10,000, you know, and, you know, and then it changes everything. So, yeah. 
Should I even throw in some statistics there? Statistics there? You know, the, the last election, INEX said that 85 million Nigerians registered to vote. But on election day, only 25 million came out to vote. So there were 60 million with cards sitting at home that did not come out to vote. Just imagine. And those are possibly 60 million that cannot be bribed. 60 million that, has, they are, that can make a decision on their own. But they just didn't bother. Just imagine if they came out and blocked in another direction. We probably won't be here where we are today. So, get your PVC and use it on election day. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh -huh. Everybody said amen, yeah. <laughs> All right, great. All right, sir, over to you. Okay, um, thank you, everybody. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Amen. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and Amen. give you peace. Amen. So it is and shall be. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Okay, so God's favorite house. Who are we? We are limitless all the way. Amen. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.